Well, okay, it's time to tackle the sermon. What's wrong with the world? I like how we pick cream puff topics here at Church of the Redeemer. First, uh, last week, why do I exist? And now, what's wrong with the world? So we're going to have a good time with that. Let me go ahead and read the passage that the sermon is going to be on. So here, you can follow along if you like. It's in the insert of your bulletin. Uh, This is Genesis 2.8. So we're dealing with the fall of man. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and, the wo- and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent to save me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. The word of the Lord. Well, last week we talked about why do we exist. And it should have been a great week for you having some peace and confidence in knowing the purpose for your existence this week. So you can thank me for that. You're welcome. This week we are going to talk about what's wrong with the world. 30, 35 minutes to talk about what's wrong with the world. And you know, it's interesting. Wherever you go, if you talk with people, you have, you know, people have political differences, they have religious differences, they have social differences, but one thing is pretty consistent across the board. Everybody knows something's wrong with the world. Something's broken. And everybody's trying to figure out, how do we fix it? 
How do we fix what's wrong with the world? In fact, what is it exactly that's wrong with the world? Well, we're going to talk about that, what's wrong with the world. Before we do that, I want to do a small book review, a book I've been reading, Bad Leadership. Now, some of you are reading Woman's Day magazine, some of you are reading John Grisham, but your tireless pastor is reading Bad Leadership. Okay? Always working, hardworking guy. Okay, here's why I'm reading Bad Leadership. Because I don't want to end up in this book. This is a case study of just bad leaders. Bad leaders. And it lists seven characteristics of bad leadership. Incompetence, intemperate, callous, corrupt, insular, evil, bad leaders. You know them. We could attach names to all of those folks. But why is leadership so important? Think about it. Think of the salaries that have started ballooning for the CEOs out there. Why do they pay those astronomical salaries? Why in you know, the NFL, some of you guys saw some games uh, this past uh, yesterday, and why will people pay top dollar, and they've got to get that right, quarterback? Because leadership is so important. As the leader goes, so goes the organization. And there are stories replete with leaders who have taken their organization and they've taken them right off the cliff. I don't know if you remember, I think it was last year or the year before, the story of Bernie Madoff, the in investment securities guy, who was, uh, they discovered, you know, he was sort of the, the, the darling of Wall Street, and he managed money for these huge endowments and companies. And it was discovered that over the course of 20 years, he had created this massive Ponzi scheme, uh, bilking people out of over $65 billion of their wealth. See, Madoff didn't turn off, uh, start out trying to be a bad leader, but the lure of the money. And he made some risky investments in the 80s, and, and they were poor investments, and now he had to cover the money. And so he started going out and getting more money to cover his losses, which continued to mount again and again and again, until finally it was discovered, this massive Ponzi scheme. 30 years, $65 billion worth of losses. Well, I don't have to tell you about bad leadership, do I? Anyone ever been around bad leadership? Maybe in your company. You've got this great company, great product, great people in it, but there's only one problem. You've got the wrong leader at the top. And it's just painful, isn't it? You're trying to go this way, but you just can't move because of why. Bad leadership, the wrong leader at the top. You know, what about social and political issues, all the problems that we have? Gosh, if things could get straightened out in Washington. If we just had the right leaders, situation would get fixed, but again and again, corruption and scandal. Ever been a part of a church with bad leadership? If you're sitting in one right now, don't, don't, don't sh shake your head. I'm, I'm in one right now, Carlos. Been a part of a bad leadership in a church that creates all sorts of problems. Have we ever been a victim of bad leadership in our very own lives? How about making, you know, it's easy to point the finger out there, but then we look in our own hearts, you know, making poor economic decisions. Why, why did I make that investment? Why did I go in with those guys and, and we discover the fruit of that bad leadership decision? Or I'm constantly struggling in my own life with trying to lead my family and how challenging it is to say the right thing at the right time, to make that right decision in that point of crisis. But what would the world look like if leaders led well. Think about that. What if our politicians led correctly, led without corruption and scandal, but for the good of mankind? What about our businesses? What if 
businesses looked out for their employees and looked out for win-win situations with the customer? What would, what would our world look like if leaders led well? What would my life look like if I led well? What would my family look like? See, the reason I bring up all these things about leadership is because at the core of what's wrong with the world is a leadership problem. It's a leadership problem. Now, some of you are saying you're exactly right. If we elected the right people and get, got them in Washington, all these problems would be taken care of. But we've been around long enough to know that the problem's bigger than that, don't we? Or maybe educational. You know, if we just got the right education in people and we got them trained and got them out of the inner city or got the education in the inner city, the problems would take care of themselves. But no, this leadership problem is bigger than that. Because at its core, what's wrong with the world is a spiritual leadership problem. A problem between the human race and God. The human race has put itself in a leadership position above God that it is not equipped to handle. And the result is bad leadership, which leads to misery and failure. If you want to know what this whole sermon is about, I'll give it to you right here. When you put the wrong leader in the wrong place, you get the wrong result. But if you put the right leader in the right place, you get the right result. Well, let's do a little autopsy on what's wrong with the world. There's three things that we need to examine to really get a hold of this. The first is, how did this bad leadership get in place in the first place? We have to look at the crime. A crime has occurred where illegitimate leadership has been put in place. The second thing we need to look at is punishment. With every crime, there's a punishment. With every action, there's a consequence. So what is the consequence of bad leadership in our world? And then finally, is there an opportunity for restoration? Getting things to the way that they were meant to be. So let's look at those. Let's look at the crime. How did this bad leader come to power? Now as we look at this passage that I just read, one thing is clear. That man was intended to be the leader of the earth. Man was put in a position to lead. He was put in the garden. He was set, told to be fruitful and multiply and to have dominion over the earth, to fill the earth and subdue it. And God created this garden, this place in the center, this where his presence and his glory dwelt. And God said to man, take this garden and spread it to the four corners of the earth. Let the creation know that there is a God and you are the one to take that message. That's why God was, man was made in the image of God. He was given God-like qualities so that the creation would respond to man and woman. When they would walk, the creation would look and do a double take because they looked just like God. Listen to Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and all that swims in the paths of the sea. Man was put in charge. I remember in my former life, I was the CEO of a car wash company. And I remember sitting down when I was made CEO of the car wash company. See, there were people that owned the car wash company that wanted me to run it for them. They are the ones that had the capital investment. Their name was on the deeds of the property and the equipment. They needed someone to be the CEO. And so they made me the CEO. I was in charge of the payroll. I was in charge of the employees, physical plant, direction of the company. I was in charge of everything. 
But I was not the owner of the company. I was simply the CEO of the company. See, man was made the CEO of planet Earth, but his power was not unlimited because God had two stipulations, planted two trees right in the center of the garden. And he said, you may not eat from the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Man's power was vast, but it was not unlimited. What are these trees, this tree of life and this tree of knowledge of good and evil? Well, this tree of life, as we look upon the scriptures, we can see that the tree of life represents eternal life. Not just the quantity of life, immortality, but the quality of life as well. Life as it was meant to be lived. Life in peace and harmony with God and with the world and creation. This is this tree of life. And then we also see this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It's the tree of the wisdom of God. It's the tree of truth, the tree of discernment. It's the encapsulation of God's righteous law put in here. It's important to understand that this tree is not evil, for God is not evil. But it's a tree of understanding and knowledge. And God said to man, don't eat from these trees. See, man was perfect, but he was not complete. God had created for seven days, and six days, and then he rested. But man's work had just begun. Man was not created to be independent of God, but to function in harmony with God as CEO and owner. God's knowledge was absolute, but man's was relative. God was equipped, man was equipped, but not independent. God was the giver, man was the receiver. God was the king, man was the regent. Man needed to grow up, if you will, into the fullness of what he was meant to become. And he would acquire this knowledge as needed, as God would give it to him. See, man was, a good way to think about this, is man was in the image of God, and he was uplinked to God. You know, it's interesting how satellites work. They actually uplink to the satellite above through line of sight, if you know anything about GPS and positioning. And so man was uplinked to God to be able to see God and God to see him as he went about his business proclaiming the image of God. But here was a chance to do an end around, to obtain the knowledge of God independent of God, to take a shortcut, if you will, to no longer have to image God above, but to take this knowledge and bring it internally, so much so that we would no longer need to image God because we would be God ourselves. You know, where did this idea come to do this? The serpent was more crafty than all the other animals. This one that we know called Satan. See, Satan had already tried this once before, hadn't he? He was the bright morning star, the angel that was more beautiful than all the other angels. Vast power and resources in heaven, but there was one thing that he lacked, the throne. And so he tried to take the authority of God and so was cast down. It was Satan that put this idea into man's mind. Did God really say, don't, don't worry about that? Because if you eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, you don't need to follow God. You can be God. So what did man decide? Which leader would he choose, God or Satan? And when the woman saw the fruit 
was pleasing to the eye and good for obtaining wisdom. She ate and gave some to her husband. See, this was a blatant, this tree of life and tree of knowledge of good and evil, it was just a blatant power grab was what it was. A coup d'etat, an assassination attempt, a hostile takeover of man to take the place of God. But to take the place of God, man must become God. Frederick Nietzsche, the nihilist philosopher, put it this way, man's attempt to kill God. God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we confront ourse- comfort ourselves, the murderer of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all the world has owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood of us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? Man was no longer in the image of God. Man desired to image man. Well, is it true? Because this is a great story, but is it true? Is what you're saying shown out there in this world around? Well, think about it. Think about our world, the great societies that we have, the engines of commerce, the political entities. Do they bear testimony to the image of the glory of God or to the preeminence of man? How about our academic institutions, our media outlets, internet, TV, cable, radio? Do they broadcast the truth that God reigns or do they rather exalt the position of man? How about you and me? This past week, our work at our jobs, how we spent our free time, the private thoughts that go on in our mind that no one can see or hear. Did they center on God or did they center on ourselves? You see, the crime committed in the garden reverberates in society today, even in our own hearts. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When you put the wrong leader in the wrong place, you get the wrong results. What's wrong with the world? You're looking at him. The only way for us to get on the right track is for us to realize that we are guilty of seizing the glory of God, making it our own. This is the first step toward restoration. Well, I want to talk about our second point, crime and punishment. Every action has a consequence I know all of you guys are like, wow, Carlos has really given us a downer today here. Jeez. But the truth of the matter is before we hear the good news, we have to hear the bad news, don't we? (laughs) I remember when I was the CEO of Freedom Wash, I got a phone call from my general manager. And he told me, we've caught a couple guys stealing, a couple of lot attendants on the lot. And they figured out a way how to game our system. We had these uh, kiosks on the car wash lots and they were automated, you drive up the video, the whole deal. And our attendants had tokens and so to help people when there were problems. Well, they discovered that if we put in 10 or 20 tokens into the machine and hit the return button, the machine would put out a $10 bill or a $20 bill. And so like, like mice, they were throwing tokens in there, boom, boom, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, and out was coming the cash, and that's why our numbers weren't looking right. So I knew I had to deal with this problem. I got a friend of mine who was a a retired police officer, and we went in there. 
And we set up a table and we sat down and I said, bring him in. Okay, needless to say, they were visibly shaken when they were coming to meet with the CEO of the company. They knew the game was up. And at first they tried to deny it. Hey, we didn't do anything. We don't know what you're talking about. But we had the video surveillance. We had the tickets. We could corroborate. We, we had them dead to rights. And when they realized that they were stuck, they, they just broke down and confessed. I remember just these, these puddles of young men in front of me weeping and crying, confessing uh, you know, the, the sin of stealing against the company. Well, that's no different than this situation right here. You see, the crime has been committed, and God comes with the punishment. As God walks through the garden in the cool of the day, and you know, the Hebrew, the English, if you really translate it, it's much more of a roar, a roar. Why did man and woman go and hide? Because the presence of God was coming, and God was not happy. God comes. They, they knew the punishment because God told them that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of the, of, uh, the tree in the garden of the knowledge of good and evil, that you will die. And in fact, the Hebrew doesn't say you'll just die. It says you'll die, die. You'll surely die. And so God comes to them and tells them. But strangely enough, they don't die, do they? They don't fall at the feet just like that. They die from the inside out. See, as man and woman were brought to life from the inside out, as God put his spirit into man and he became a living being, so God withdraws his spirit from man and they become a living corpse. God took the image of God and he broke it. No longer could man adequately image God anymore because the spirit of God was taken from man. You know, sometimes the best consequence is to give people what they want. Man wants to be in charge, so God lets him. When you put the right leader in the right place at the right time, you'll get the right result. But there are consequences for our decision, weren't there? God entails in this curse that he gives to people what is going to happen over the next uh, period of time. Here it is right here. He gives these three predictions, these three consequences to Satan and to woman and to man. First to man, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. Ever wonder why we just constantly battle against creation? Tsunamis, earthquakes, drought, pestilence, what is that? It's It's a creation that is cursed. Where did cancer come from anyways? The curse of man. How about you and me in our work lives? Many of us, we get up, we go to work, we have good times sometimes, but to be honest, it's like a fight every single day, working, pounding away, trying to draw something out of the earth to feed our family. And at the end of our lives, we're spent because we've given all our life. Creation fights man. Ever wonder where workaholism came? from it came from right here and ultimately man will succumb to the earth from dust you were taken to dust you will return where death come from it came from right here the wrong leader in the wrong place what about woman I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing with pain you will give birth to children 
your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Man and woman were given this mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But now it will only happen through pain and suffering. Where did infant mortality come from? The pain and frustration of pregnancy, raising children who fight against us, all from the wrong person, the wrong leader, in the wrong place. See, women and men were designed to be in harmony with one another. There was no helper suitable for man, so God made woman to come alongside men to help him because he couldn't get it done himself and for them to work together to have dominion over the earth. But now, all too often, that relationship between man and woman, husband and wife, is like this, conflict. As the woman seeks to subvert the role of the man as leader, to do what man did with God, woman will do with man. But man does not value his mate. He does not cherish her. He does not listen to her counsel. Instead, he dominates her and devalues her, and he's at war with her. When you have the wrong leader in the wrong place, you get the wrong result. And finally, this consequence with Satan. Listen to what God says. Cursed are you among all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, that word there means violence or war, between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Satan, there's this battle that is occurring on planet Earth between the forces of evil, Satan, and humanity. Satan wants to kill human beings. Why does Satan do this whole thing in the first place? You know, why did Satan pass along this helpful tidbit of information to humanity? You think it was out of the goodness of his heart? Hey, I just want to pass along something that I think will be helpful for you. Not at all. The scriptures say that he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, it was Satan that first sought to do treason against God, and so he convinces man to do the same as Satan commits treason against man. Some people think, well, Carlos, you know, this whole concept of evil and Satan, you know, that's so blasé. It's, it's past. We've, we've become too enlightened for that. You know, if you don't believe in evil and Satan, I suggest you turn on the TV tonight and watch some of the news stories. Maybe get out a little bit. I've had the opportunity to travel internationally some and go to Latin America. And when you go to some other places of the world, you will come face to face with the fact that Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. See, without God imaging, without man imaging God, man was left to himself to run the world. And this Darwinian survival of the fittest started. Man against Satan, Satan against man. And the truth of the matter is left to ourselves. Man will lose that battle every single time. Satan's more powerful, more cunning, more deceptive. We think we're in charge of the world, but the truth of the matter is we're simply pawns in a much larger game being played on a spiritual game, a spiritual scale. No wonder Satan is called the prince of this world the one who Satan has taken us captive to do his will. When uh, about two years ago, my sons were getting older and they asked me, hey, Dad, I want a pocket knife. So I said, hey, no problem. I think they're old enough. I'm going to go get them a pocket knife. Well, my little guy, Daniel, he really wanted a pocket knife too. 
okay, because the older brothers were getting the pocket knife. He wanted a pocket knife. So I thought to myself, he's, he's not old enough to get a pocket knife. He's not, but he kept pestering me. And so that, you know what I did? I gave him a pocket knife. You know why? Because I'm an idiot. That's why I am. I'm a complete idiot. So I gave him a pocket knife, a little one. In fact, this is the one right here. I thought, oh, it's a small one. Nothing can happen. He's fine. So he goes ahead. He takes the pocket knife, starts playing with it. Sure enough, one minute later, screams bloody murder. Why? Because he cut himself. He was not equipped and ready to deal with what I gave him. Okay, an imperfect analogy, though, because it was man who went ahead and took what God said, don't take that, and has to suffer the consequences of what we're doing. You know, I don't know about you, but there's one thing I've become convinced of my own life and of this world, that we're incapable of running it on our own. That left to ourselves, humanity will drive this planet into the ground sooner or later. Think of the problems of this world. Poverty, greed, corruption, hatred, discord. Can the armies of the world stop the problems at the, at the muzzle of a gun? Suicide bombers, guerrilla warfare, genocide. How will we stop these problems of the world? With our own intelligence? Think of the problems of our own life, the work issues we have, that effortless frustration. How do we get out of that? What about our marriage? How do we fix the problems of our marriage? Can we do that while being broken images of God? The answer is despite man's best attempts, they're limited and short-lived to restore the world. If we can't fix our life, we can't fix this world on our own. Because when you put the wrong leader in the wrong place, you'll get the wrong results. Well, the question that we have to turn if we look at the crime and the punishment, is there any hope for the world? Wow, Carlos, you've painted a beautiful picture of all that's wrong with the world. Is there any hope for the world? The answer is yes. But when you have a leadership problem, the only way to fix it is to have a leadership change. See, there is hope even in the beginning, even here, the third chapter of the Bible, that this problem will go ahead and be fixed. Listen to what God says here, that one day I will put enmity between you and the woman, that there will be a battle, and it will go on, Satan and humans, humans and Satans. But one day, this battle that will go on through perpetuity, that one will come, he who will crush your head while you strike his heel. The Hebrew here is very unequivocal. It's speaking of one person in the singular, that one from the offspring of woman will come who will have the ability to crush the head of this one Satan who has taken the world captive to do his will. There will be an end to the battle. One day the battle will be over. You know, if you want to understand what the Bible is all about, this whole book, I'll give it to you right now. It's what this whole book is about, is the genealogy and the chronicling of the one who will come, who will crush the head of Satan. Think of all those genealogies. What's that all about? It's about the world waiting for the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. See, one must come who will fill that task required of men that man failed it. One who can stand against Satan to accurately and perfectly image God to replace this broken image with the true image and accurately fulfill the responsibility that was given to man to fulfill the, to fill the earth and subdue it. 
You know, Christianity is a story, and it's the story of us. It's the story that all stories are modeled after. Think to yourself, all the greatest movies of all time, all the greatest grossing films of all time, Avatar, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Spider-Man, there's something consistent in all of them, and here's it. The hero always comes from out of town. He always comes from out of town. Why? Because in the battle, man's lost. He's under the thumb of the despot, isn't he? It's the evil empire that's got their hand on the resistance, and so this young farm boy from Tatooine must come up to help destabilize. What about this kid who lives on number four, Privet Drive, Harry Potter? Isn't that interesting? All the wizarding world captive under the forces of evil personified by Lord Voldemort. But yet there's one that seems to be able to withstand the power of evil. The hero comes from out of town. I love westerns. Okay, westerns aren't complicated. It's real simple. In the town, bad guy. He's got everybody. But there comes Clint Eastwood riding in on a pale horse. The hero always comes from out of town. See, we need a hero, friends. Humanity needs a hero, someone who comes from out of town who's not part of the equation. Because every single human's mirror is broken. All have failed. All have taken the test. And all have usurped God. But the scriptures tell us this in Galatians 3, that when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of son. God sent a second Adam, fully man and fully God, the obedient son, Jesus Christ. And it was he whose mirror was perfect, who became broken, that ours might be restored. It was he who was in perfect communion with God, who let his communion be cut off with God, that our communion with God might be restored. It was Jesus, the obedient son, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Man tried to usurp God's authority, but Jesus laid down his life to the authority of God and restored man to that right place. So, the question we have before us is this. We who have been deformed by sin have the opportunity to be reformed by Christ. When you have the wrong leader in the wrong place, you have the wrong result. But when you put the right leader in the right place, you have the right result. My question for you is, who are you following? We have a great opportunity in this one Jesus Christ because he comes to us and he takes back the authority of the world. You know, last thing Jesus said before he ascended to heaven, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Translation, I'm in charge. Satan has been cast down. I'm in charge. Who are you going to follow? The opportunity for the restoration of the image that God made us to be is for us in Christ. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and be with him and him with me. For he who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come.
the wrong person in the wrong place is the wrong result. But thank God in Jesus Christ, we can put the right leader in the right place and find the life we were intended to live. By God's grace, let us do so. Let's pray. Lord, he became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All men that ever came before you tried to usurp your authority, to fall to the false promises of becoming God. Yet there was one, your son, Jesus Christ, God of God, light of light, who became man, who lived the obedient life, who stood to the temptations of Satan and said, I will be obedient till death. Christ, we thank you for your gift of new life in you. Lord, help us to give our lives to you, to trust in your leadership that you may shape and reform us into the people that we were meant to be. And Lord, we pray for this earth. We thank you that you're in charge. We see that your kingdom is expanding. May you use Church of the Redeemer to share this message of new hope in Christ. And Lord, we long for the day when the kingdom will be restored and man will be put in the place he should and you will be glorified as was always your purpose. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.